Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Let me invite you, if you brought a copy of the Word of God with you today, would you take an open with me to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to continue in the series that uh, I kicked off with you last week on the subject of Christmas promises. Let me introduce the message to you this way if I could. Um, Have you ever looked at or been confronted with or uh, maybe uh, had posed to you an opportunity that seemed just too good to be true? I mean, someone came to you, and I'm not talking about the car warranty folks. I mean, I know that they'll let you extend that past the, the normal time, but if you don't answer their call, then this is the very last call that you're going to get. And man, I only prayed that that would be true one time. I mean, it would, that would be so wonderful. But I'm not talking about one of those opportunities. I'm talking about something that you, you would be offered, and you'd go, my goodness, if that could be true. In fact, I bet it is true but I doubt it could be true for me. And so as though you would look at it and go, you know, there's something about me. There's something about my background. There's something about my resume. There's something about my past that would make that impossible for me to benefit from. It's good. It's a good thing, but I'm sure it's good for someone else, just not for me. You ever felt like that? Where something was offered, it was available, but You felt like you were somehow excluded because of things that maybe there were choices made in the past and whatever they are, they're things beyond your control now because none of us can go back and change where we were yesterday. None of us can control what's taken place and happened to us. None of us can control where we grew up. Not one of you got to select your parents. There may be things in your life that you said, this would, this certainly precludes me from experiencing any of those blessings, or does it? See, the one, here's what's true, and Christmas accentuates this. Not one of us could sign up for the gift, yet God gave it. And not one of us are deserving of the gift, yet God gave anyway. And God, I think, wanted to make sure that you and I knew that no matter where you are, where you've come from, where you grew up, that gift, as good as it seems, is for you too. You say, why would he have to tell us something like that? Because there are a lot of folks that think that they've somehow excluded themselves from experiencing these things. And yet God wanted to rehearse and remind us that the promises of Christmas are for us as well. So I want to show you that. I'm going to show it to you at an unusual place, perhaps, in the, hey, if you're reading from one of the old English translations, like the King James translation, this is one of those areas that's uh, called the begats. But I'm not reading from that. I'm going to call it the genealogies. And I want to talk with you this morning on the subject of promise in the genealogies. Matthew 1, we're going to look at the lineage of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, I want to deal with the first 17 verses of that. And even though you look tired, I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me in honor of the Word of God as we look at this together. 
Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah. Verse 11, Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Sheltil, Sheltil the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan and Matan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Pause right there. Father, would you in these moments help us see the hope and the promise that we find in the genealogies. Lord, I know that uh, reading through a list of names of people in ancient times may seem a little disconnected to us today. Yet you, through the Holy Spirit, inspired the gospel writer to record each one. Help us not miss why that is. And then as we respond to the hope that's in that, I pray you'd be glorified. Now teach us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You be seated. I, I hope before you've read through the genealogies. Maybe you, maybe you have. Maybe you got in one of those Bible reading plans where you got there and you said, and, uh, and uh, let's just skip down through. And Jesus was, uh, and maybe you just kind of skipped right through them. I can't tell you the number of times I, as a little boy, I, I'm sure I must have said to my mom and dad, what's a begat? What is all this about? Why is this list here? It probably wasn't until watching one of my kids graduate college that this even started to make sense to me. Because here's what I found. I found that there could be a thousand people in the graduating class. Mamas and daddies sit in there and look in the program for one. One name. They didn't look at the big caption that said graduating class of. They looked for their little darling's name. 
So as we might look at these names and think, now, why is that there? Why would we even care? Chris, why would you give us 42 different names for us to look at in here today? Every one of them, someone's little darling. And every one of those little darlings' names is in there specifically to illustrate a point and purpose. In fact, I want to show you a couple of them that maybe are unusual by way of a, a line. In fact, let me just show you that in this subject, the promise of the genealogies. In fact, let me give you a, a three-point outline, if I could. Three observations that you could understand with us together. If you'd like to follow along on an outline, you'll find it on the church app, or you could maybe jot down some notes on the back of that worship folder, or if you don't have either of those, you could just text the word notes to the number you see on your screen. We'll send you an outline with links to the different verses, you'll notice on there, gosh, Chris, there's a lot of white space. You didn't give us a lot of verses. We just read all of them. You do, do you want me to read them again? No, all right, so we're just grab some bit, bits and pieces and you can just jot down the ones that make sense to you, these three observations. Let me show you, first of all, as we look at these different names, I want you to understand about every person in that line and every person listening to me today, whether you're in this room or you're joining me from a living room somewhere, everyone, here's the, po here's the point, everyone has a past. Everyone has a, I have a past, you have a past, we have a past. Every one of these names has a past. Every one of them experienced something in their past which would make them on some day a little bit embarrassed if that past came to light and showed up on Fox News or CNN. Everyone has a past. Within the list of descendants here, we've got three sets of 14 generations. Let me tell you, first of all, that's not a comprehensive list. You may think, how in the world could that not be all of them? Well, it's not. It's listed there. Matter of fact, if you compare this to the genealogy in Luke, you'll notice there's some differences there. And the reason is each gospel writer writes with a particular purpose and aim to a particular audience for a certain reason. This list was never intended to be comprehensive, but illustrative. In other words, God said, I've got a story to tell, and I want to tell that story to people, and I'm going to pick pieces of that and tell. John said in his gospel, he said, if I were to try that try to write down everything that Jesus did. There's not enough books in the world. They'd stretch all the way to the heavens and I still couldn't write them all down. I've only given you the things that you need to know in order to recognize that he is in fact the king of the universe, the creator, the Messiah God, and that you might love him and respond to him. So every writer writes with a particular purpose. Matthew, when he writes to this, he's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience and he's trying to connect some dots to the legal lineage of who Jesus is. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us certain names which I think are intended to tell a story. Names like it began when he started talking about Abraham. Do you think it's odd that he would mention Abraham? You say, well, no, because Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And, uh, well, that was a VBS song a gazillion years ago, way back in the 1900s. You may not even remember that. But uh, anyway, the, uh, why would he include a story about Abraham? You mean a story about a, a polygamist who at times struggled with his faith? Struggled to believe the promises of God, even to protect his own skin, lied about his wife's identity and allowed her to be taken in by other men to keep from getting himself ended. 
Why would God include a name like that? I mean, surely if God's going to illustrate a point and He's going to bring together a list, why wouldn't He just put perfect people in there? Well, He mentioned one. And that consisted of the sum total of all the perfect people ever to live. So there's Abraham, but not just Abraham. Then there's King David. Well, now there's a great one. We've heard about him. He's a giant slayer. That's right. He did slay the giant. When all of the forces of Israel cowered before Goliath, David stood up and he said, I've killed lions and bears. I'm, I'll just, uh, I'll kill that uncircumcised Philistine the same way. God helped me with the other ones. He'll help me take him down too. He was a giant killer. He's also an adulterer and a murderer and a man who demonstrated a lack of faith over and over again. And yet the scripture says of him that he is a man described as being after God's own heart. How is that possible? But not just that, in the line of genealogy, sure, there's some imperfect men, but you know what's really unusual in a Jewish genealogical line is the appearance of a woman. And not only one, but there are five different women who are listed here, each one of them a little bit different than the other, and all of them different than what you'd put in your hall of fame if you were sitting around writing a list of your particular heroes. Verse 3, we found the name of Tamar. Now, that may be an odd name to you. You may not have even recognized that, but maybe jot down in your notes Genesis chapter 38. Here's what you'd find. You'd find this woman, Tamar, was the daughter of some man and some woman. She was a daughter of somebody. She got married to a real bozo. His name was Ur. He didn't get a whole name. He just a part of a name, Ur. And he was... Listen, he was a son of Judah and a real winner, I'm just telling you. He had a brother who was a real winner, just a total mess of a guy. His brother, Onan, refused the role of a kinsman redeemer on his behalf. Her husband died, by the way, Ur died. Onan refused to be a kinsman redeemer, threatening the line. She was sent away to her father's house to live as a widow until until Judah could get another boy to stand in line who would be old enough. But Judah didn't do right by her. So, listen, she tricked Judah into fathering a son for her, yep, by incest. And she made the list. I don't, hey, did you say that you might have excluded yourself from some of the promises of God because of your past? Hold on a minute. Tamar. Here's the key. If you understand a little bit about the history and the culture, this woman was disrespected and dishonored and left vulnerable and abandoned and shamed, and yet God chose to use her. Verse 5, you see the name Rahab. Rahab, we first meet her in the scriptures in Joshua chapter 2. She ran a brothel in a, in a city. In fact, when God sent his 12 spies in to spy out the land, uh, a couple of them went and hung out at her place. Why? Why would they hang out there? Weren't they good Jewish boys? Yeah, because her house was the only one wouldn't raise suspicion if strange men came and went. And she shows up in the list. Then you get the woman Ruth. Ruth, by the way, you could read about her in Ruth the book of Ruth, a woman of Moab. 
The Moabites were not a popular group of people. In fact, they were disdained as a group of people. They were a cursed and condemned people who were well known throughout their culture and community as a sexually immoral people who lived their lives as idolaters. People who had conspired against Israel. This woman Ruth was widowed and then her own family rejected her. Her own family being her mother-in-law Naomi rejected her and tried to push her away. She showed up in this line of names. Well, there's, that's not the only ones. There's also Bathsheba. You'd read about her in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Bathsheba, she was a woman who committed adultery with King David. Her husband, Uriah the Hittite, was one of David's most trusted inner circle military fighting men. They were the special forces of the special forces, inner guard. And yet, well, that was her husband. She slept with David. David ends up killing her husband, and she lost her first child, and she made the list. And then there's another woman in there, the one we're most familiar with at Christmas time. Her name's Mary. Mary was an unknown person. Nobody knew her. Mary was a very common name. It'd be like calling someone Mary today. It's just a very common name. It's a, a it, let's just blended right in. A poor woman. Middle of the, middle of the blue collar workforce, if there was one, but a young woman, too young to have even been in the workforce. A little, unknown, young girl, engaged to be married, but then found to be pregnant. And yet she made the story. By the way, she was hand-selected by God to carry the very Son of God in her womb. You say, well, what's the connecting point? What's the common thread? Every one of the stories offer a glimpse at the heart of God. Maybe it's this, that not one of these people were excluded from the very promise that God had made from the very foundations of the earth. Not one of them. In fact, not only were they not excluded, they were specifically included to let you and I know that no matter who you are or what you've done or what you've experienced or what's been done to you, you're not excluded from the promise either. Their stories, rather than being excluded, were memorialized on the pages of Scripture. So let me say to you again, Maybe you do have a past. Maybe it's a soiled past, a sordid past. But is it any more than these? Let me show you secondly. Notice with me that while everyone has issues and everybody has a closet full of skeletons, you're not defined by your past unless you choose to be so. So notice secondly that your past is descriptive, but it's not defining. Your past, my past, your past, it describes where we were. It doesn't define who we are. In each of the stories, we saw different experiences that, honestly, any one of those experiences or stories could be fatal. It could be final. They're all flawed. Each one represents a failure, a tragedy, some obstacle that's insurmountable for the person that's in the midst of it. And each story represents the power and promise of God to overcome, no matter who you are or where you are or what you've gone through. In every case, the past is descriptive. Rahab sold her body for money. Bathsheba 
committed adultery. Ruth grew up literally on the wrong side of the tracks, or in that case, the national border. So here's the truth for you and I, because I wish I could tell you the number of people I've shared the gospel with through the years that have told me that somehow they just didn't feel like it could be for them, that surely they had to do better before it'd be open to them because of where they've been or what they've done in their life. And while I get the sentiment behind that, it just doesn't match up with the Word of God. Let me give you a statement. Your past may describe where you've been, but it doesn't determine who you become. Your past may describe who, where or who you've been, but it doesn't determine who you become. Your past may describe where you've been, but it alone, it in and of itself does not determine your future, who you become. You do that. And God does that if you allow him. So, Chris, do you have anything to back that up other than your opinion? I do, actually. In fact, one of the greatest, one of the greatest, most informative uh, pastor, church planter, missionaries and that's recorded in any of the New Testament, in fact, wrote half the New Testament, said that his past was actually part of the story so that God's grace would be magnified. Jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Paul said, when I look at myself, he said, this is what I know to be true. For I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I wished I was. Now, that's not what he said. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Have you ever just disliked what you is, I are, am? Have you ever just sat back and said, you know what, I wished I were taller. I wished I'd studied longer in school. I wished I'd been better behaved. Hey, listen, I graduated, I was, my teachers in school wanted me gone so much, they passed me. I graduated in the bottom 17% of my high school graduating class. 83% of the students at Easley High School in the class of 88 had a higher GPA than I did. I'm telling you, they were just afraid I'd stay. So they just said, go, go, go. I said, I'm going to join the army where I can make my own decisions to be my own man, do what I want to do. They said, definitely go, go, go. This is going to be wonderful. I thought back through the years, mainly when I tried to get into college and they said, son, we've looked at your transcripts. You're going to have to take some tests before we can figure out. Here, make your mark right here. We're going to have to see if we can figure out if you can even do things. I thought, man, I should have been a better student. I should have paid more attention. I should have done, I should have been. You ever should have? You ever looked at your life and said, man, I should have. I wished I'd have. I wished I could have. If only this had been true. Hey, listen. Well, I could tell you some stuff I'm not going to. You can't change that. And it does describe where you've been. But it doesn't define who you are. And it doesn't define where God wants you to be. 
God's created you for something. Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles. Here's what, why did he say such a thing? Because he knew he stood by and held the jackets of the men who killed Stephen. He knew that he left out with passion in his bone and arrest warrants in his hand to arrest innocent people and bring them to a place where they would deny they'd ever heard of Jesus. He knew that about himself. He knew about every fault. He knew about every failure. He knew about every faithless moment. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I could have been. No, I am what I am. Because God somehow takes our mess ups, our failures. And when they're given over to him, he uses them to talk about how incredible he is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and following says this. Paul writing now to Timothy says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. What did he say? He said there someday somebody's going to look at my life and realize if God had saved him, there's hope for me. <laughs> Can I tell you? There's hope for us. That's why Peter even exists in the Bible. So on the days that I think I am such a klutz, I'm a, I'm, have you ever looked at Jesus and had him say to you, get behind me, Satan? I mean, Jesus handpicked this old boy, and yet he was so out of line with the will of God, Jesus said, that's the devil talking. Close your mouth. Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll, I'll die before I'll deny you. He said, you won't make it to sun up. Every day I think, what a mess I've made of things. I look around and go, but at least I'm not Peter. <laughs> How about you? Man, there's no way God could redeem my life. There's no way God could use me. There's no way God could do anything good with me. Really? Because your life somehow eclipses Rahab's or Ruth's or Tamar's or Bathsheba or Abraham or, or Judah. Because your life is somehow worse, more, more, uh, more opposite of God than that? Nope. Nope, that excuse won't hunt. Or that dog won't hunt. That, that story doesn't land. Why? Because it's never really been about how well you perform, but how God works in our lives. It's about how God works and what God does. And I'm going to tell you, as a personal, as a satisfied customer, God likes broken, messed up people. So that when he fixes it, people go, shazam, what a God. 
If you was perfect, people would be like, well, of course he picked that one. No, he took some guy who barely graduated his high school class. And, and hey, listen, if you're a child of God, he picked you. You. You may have grown up a certain way, done certain things. And hey, listen, those are always going to be true, but they don't determine who you are or what you do now unless you let them. Well, Chris said, that's fine, but how does good come from the struggles and sufferings that we've experienced in our lives? Here's a word for you. It's the only word that'll really matter by surrender. Notice with me, number three, that surrender unleashes grace. Surrender unleashes grace. What made the difference for these people not getting... To be used by God and not getting excluded. It's the fact that while they couldn't get rid of their past, they did have the ability and they chose willfully to surrender their past to God. Well, what did God do with it? Well, here's Abraham who went from a guy who said, uh, said to his wife, Sarai, if I tell them that you're my wife, they'll kill me in order to keep you. Let's tell them you're my sister. Which, by the way, was half true. She's a half sister. Some of you, that's going to mess up your lunch. You're going to try to figure that out and go, how in the world? Yet, lying and lying, and yet God did something in this, this guy's life after he'd done called him to himself. It wasn't that Abraham earned the right, but God did something in his life that so strengthened his faith that when God said, Abram, sacrifice to me your son, your one and only son, your favorite son, the son of promise, sacrificing. And he said, yes, sir. Hey, what happened between lying about the identity of your wife and that? Life. And a journey with God. And yet God did it. And by the way, did it work? Sure. Because through that same line, through that line of Abraham, God fulfilled the promise of Genesis 12. Where he said to him, in you all the nations, in your seed, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. By the way, he's upstream in that Jesus line. And through Jesus, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Pretty incredible stuff. How about David? Well, God took David's repentance recorded in Psalm 51 and in other places, took it even though he experienced the consequences of all of these bad decisions. And yet God used him and preserved his throne so that one would sit on the throne of David and rule over God's people forever. By the way, his name is Jesus. Tamar, in the end... This woman went from taking things, matters into her own hands to relying on the goodness of God and trusted in his plan of redemption. Genesis 38, verse 26, Judah, by the way, the namesake of the Jewish people, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I inasmuch as I did not give her my son Shelah. And he did not have relations with her again. She tricked him, by the way. She dressed herself up as a prostitute and caught his attention. 
And he slept with her. And when he found out that his daughter-in-law was pregnant, he got indignant and said, let's just bring her out to the city and let's just kill her. So she sent this uh, item. He had given her staff and his signet. She asked for just as proof, trust, and, uh, that, that he would pay his debt. And, uh, and, and then she disappeared, and he was like, well, whatever. I don't guess I need to send the cow over there now. I'm good. So uh, anyway, he didn't do it. So when he sent to have her killed, she sent attendants to him and said, the man who is the father of this child gave me this. And he knew immediately what was going on. And he said, he said she has honored God in ways that I disregarded God because God had always promised that that family's line would never end but that her line would be uh, redeemed through was it exactly as God designed no it wasn't but Judah said when he looked back on it I completely blew it she's better off than I am and he used her you may say that's disgusting I agree Thank goodness that disgusting stories, I'm sorry, thank goodness that Chris's story makes it into the gospel. Y'all don't have stories? Rahab. Rahab running the brothel in town when God's spies come to her place. Here's what she said. We heard of y'all. We've heard how your God has given you victory over this king and this king and this king and now you come here and we know you're going to destroy us also but I'm asking you I'll help you I'm asking you be merciful to me and my family if you'll do that I'll help you through there and they said we absolutely will when we come to attack the city when we come to take it over hang this cord outside your window and that house will be protected and oh by the way she and her family were protected by that. Joshua 2, verses 12 and 13. Here was, her, here was her request. Therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I've dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. This woman who ran a, a house of prostitution, her entire family was saved because she had heard of the, this God, and she said, I'm just trusted that you're going to be merciful to us. Then there's Ruth. Ruth, she marries a young man who traipses by her, her, uh, her city. They fell in love, and uh, she marries him. He dies, his brother dies, her father-in-law dies. She said, uh, she said, what in the world are we going to do? There's no hope for us. That, by the way, is what her sister-in-law said, too. And her sister-in-law said, see ya. I've been meeting up with this guy on Tinder, and I'm going to go connect up with him. We're going somewhere else, and we're going, we're going over here. And Naomi, her mother-in-law, she said, I've got nothing good to offer you. Just leave. Go back to your people. Pretend none of this happened. I'm bad luck. Here's what she said. Look at, uh, look at Ruth 1, verses 15 and following. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You return after your sister-in-law. Listen to this. I don't know what she had to hang on here other than trust, that, trust in someone. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. 
Hey, she didn't, ha she didn't have a detailed itinerary. She said, wherever you go, I'll go there. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. Thus, may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts me or parts you and me. You know what God did? He put her in the birth line of Jesus. Then you've got uh, Bathsheba, ended up marrying David, bore children to him, was allowed to start her life fresh, relying on God's mercy. And Mary, little peasant girl, righteous in the sight of God, when an angel appeared to her and said, Behold, highly favored one, God has seen you and has chosen you to bear the Christ child. And she said, I've never known a man. How's that even possible? He said, it's not with you, but God's got a plan and purpose and God's going to do something. And then listen, here's how she responded. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Every one of these people bring us a bit of hope in the genealogy, but not as much as the name in the first verse. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus. All of these broken people in this line found their hope in him. Not in their circumstances, not in their ability to undo what had ever been done, not in their ability to redo and change their past, but in a God who could change the trajectory of their future. And they yielded to him. Hey, let me ask you again. Have you ever had a great opportunity offered to you that you just felt like you, you couldn't take advantage of because of something about you? Could it be that could it be that you found yourself on the outside of the gospel, not experienced the fullness of what God's done because you just didn't think he could use you? You say, Chris, I prayed a prayer 612 years ago and uh, man, I I've never, nothing's undone that prayer. I got that. But now are you experiencing abundant life with that prayer? See, he came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Hey, by the way, I know that to be true. I may have graduated in the bottom 17% of my class, but I graduated with honors the next three degrees. Why? Because God worked the hard head out of the hard head. Kind of. Did he undo Rahab's story? Nope, she had a story and she had scars, but she also had a savior on whom she placed her trust. And, by the way, there's something for you if you trust him today. You can't change your past and you can't ignore it. But you can see it in light of God's present and God's future. It is your story, but God's the story maker. And he's not done with you yet. Would you pray with me? Wherever you are right now, whether you're in this room or you're watching from a living room somewhere, I want you to listen very carefully to me. Because all eternity hangs in the balance for you and in a real, real way for the generations that will follow after you. 
Have you, have you availed yourself to the king and his redemptive work? I'm not asking you if you prayed not to go to the bad place. I'm saying, have you surrendered your life to him and trusted him? Nowhere in the scriptures does the Bible say, ask Jesus to save you. But Jesus does tell us if you're tired and you're burdened and you're weary and you're overwhelmed, come to me and take my burdens and let me have yours. The Bible does teach us that if we'll trust Him by yielding our lives to Him, declaring Him as Lord, Master, Ruler, Owner of our lives, that He'll not only settle the debt of our past, but He'll give us the inheritance of a future. And He's proven it over and over again. Have you ever trusted Him? I'm not asking you if you're religious. You wouldn't be online or you wouldn't be in this room if you weren't religious. I'm asking you, have you trusted him? If not, here's the promise of Christmas. You could today. It doesn't matter how many times you said you have and you lied. It doesn't matter how many times that you haven't and felt like you missed it. If today you trust him, you could experience the promise of Christmas today. When I first realized the weightiness of my sin, I prayed a prayer asking God to save me. It was like this, and if that's your desire today, maybe you'd pray with me. Right in your heart, right there where you are. You don't have to be in a confession booth. You don't have to talk to a pastor. Right where you are, you can talk to the king of the universe who's beckoning to you. And he says, come. My pastor led me in a prayer like this. I said, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I've rebelled against your plan and purpose and I can't undo any of it. And I know that because of my rebellion that I deserve to be separated forever. Yet Jesus said that he came and lived a perfect life, died in my place, settled the debt and made salvation possible. He said, if you... If you'd confess me as Lord. The scripture says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. So Lord, with all that I know and am, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm yielding my life to Jesus today to follow him and trust him for the rest of my life. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Chris, there was a time when I prayed that prayer, but there've been some miles on the tire since then. And I've gone, I've strayed so far from the guy who prayed that, that I'm sure God's just put out with me. Friend, no disrespect to how you feel. What if God said differently? John writing in his letter to the church said to Christians, if we say we've not sinned, we lie and the truth's not in us. But if we'll confess our sin, God, who's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, for you, Christian, no matter how far you've strayed, there's a way home. And that way is not in retracing your steps. That way is turning back to Jesus. If we confess, to say the same thing as to agree with God, to confess it to him, he'll start us fresh. Right where you are, why don't you tell him, Lord, I know I've blown it. I know I'm... I've messed up. I know I've rebelled. I just don't want to stay here forever. So I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm committing to 
in renewal to follow after you for the rest of my life. And God, would you make that true of us as a church family as well? We'd not live in our past. We'd not look at the regrets of yesterday or even the triumphs of yesterday. We'd look toward the hope of tomorrow and live according to Christmas promises. Not based on our performance, but based on our King. Thank you, Lord, for that and all that you're going to do with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.